Hey, if you'll, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 3, we are in our fourth week of a series entitled, In Search of a Godly King. Uh, this series will take us to Palm Sunday and the arrival of the true, ultimate, godly king named Jesus lead us into Easter, and it's my hope and prayer that by the time Easter comes, we will be so ready for a godly king. Because what we're doing is we're looking at those kings in the Old Testament, those leaders, and a lot of them showed promise and say, could this be it? Well, today we look at what the Bible says is the smartest man in the world. The smartest man who ever lived. His name is King Solomon. Could this possibly be our godly king? If you've been uh, journeying with us, you know that a couple of the characters that we've looked at, I've given you kind of uh, uh, current life characters to think about as an illustration. When we talked about King uh, or Judge Ehud, I said, uh, think of uh, Bauer. Think of Jack Bauer. You know, uh, Judge Ehud uh, was an amazing kind of a covert Jack Bauer kind of guy. Uh, we also talked about a guy named Absalom. I said, think of Fabio. When it comes to King Solomon, what God pressed on my heart was very interesting is, think of Thomas Jefferson. King Solomon, Thomas Jefferson. A lot of similarities. They both actually amazing men. Both actually had a bit of a divided heart. Thomas Jefferson, clearly uh, one of the greatest figures in our nation's history. I mean, the author of the Declaration of Independence, for goodness sakes, uh, Uh, Our third president, which by the way, I kind of think is interesting. Guess what number King Solomon was? Both hitting in the third position. Um, And both, you would say, renaissance men. I mean, Solomon, before there was a renaissance, no one knew what that was. He was a renaissance man. The guy could talk intelligently on about every subject. He was amazing brainiac. I mean, he knew Seemingly all things. The world would come to Solomon and sit at his feet for him to talk about plant life. For him to talk about animals. For him to talk about the world. And it's also very true of Thomas Jefferson. I remember reading Undaunted Courage, a book by Stephen Ambrose a few years ago. Great book. Uh, It's a book about uh, Lewis and Clark's adventure westward. And I was anxious. We were going to go west a few years ago. And I just wanted to kind of go back to those roots and, and, and remember Lewis and Clark's adventures. But the one thing that really surprised me was Jefferson. It was Jefferson who was behind that entire adventure. It was Jefferson who was interested in things like plant life and botany and, and, and geography. And so much of Lewis and Clark was really driven by the brains of Jefferson. Uh, very, very interesting. Then right now I'm currently in a book called April uh, 1865. Uh, it's by a guy by the name of Jay Winnick. And in, in the subtitle of April 1865 is this. The month that the United States was saved. And interestingly, and here's what the writer says about Jefferson. He says that Jefferson really was the one who planted the seeds of civil war. What? Thomas Jefferson, the writer of the Declaration of Independence, planting seeds of a civil war? How in the world could that be true? Well, he goes on to say some things that we maybe have forgotten about in history, but it was Jefferson who would write 
uh, papers. He would write papers against slavery. He would say, slavery is an amazing evil in our world. It's a terrible evil in our world. It is, it's worse for the slave owner than it is the slave. It's such an evil on the slave owner. It needs to be abolished. We need to hang our head in shame. Slavery should not be a part of America. He owned nearly 200 of them. Never once set them free. Never once. Even in his will. I mean, George Washington at least set his slaves free in his will. Thomas Jefferson, how can you have that hypocrisy? How can you say, you know, that we are all created in God's eyes equal? We have these unalienable rights to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. And yet, how can you write saying that slavery is so evil and yet own slaves? I mean, Solomon is going to be a wise king that is going to build a temple to God and yet build temples to false gods? How can you have both? It's amazing that Solomon plants the seeds of civil war in, history, in, in Israel's history. He does. This wise king is going to lead to civil war of God's people with his actions. Jefferson, was he loyal to the state or was he loyal to the union? Do you know that in the Declaration of Independence it never once says nation? And both the South and the North try to rally behind him. Where, where is he for? And who's, who's he really backing? What about Jefferson's Bible? Do you know that Jefferson created his own Bible? He cut out all the parts that had to do with miracles. Cut out all the parts of Jesus' deity. Paste it together the way he thought that it should be going together. Listen, the dude made his own Bible. You want to talk about arrogance? Are you kidding me? This is a founding father. And listen, I, 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 we often say, Americans, we've got to go back to the founding fathers. We've got to rediscover the faith of the founding fathers. We've got to embrace where we were as the founding fathers. Look where we are. Listen, this founding father was messed up when it came to theology. It, came, it was messed up when it came to Christology and who really Christ was. He was a deist. He was not a Christian. The way we know Christians. Solomon like Jefferson, had hypocrisy. Divided loyalty. Divided heart and a divided identity. Is there anybody here I haven't offended yet? (laughs) But listen, the reality is this. For great men, and these were great men, great men, like Solomon, great men like Jefferson, if you have a divided heart, if you have a divided mind, If you have divided loyalty, it'll always lead to a divided kingdom. Always. The civil war, our own country, what's about to happen to the nation of Israel after Solomon leaves. Well, God is smart enough to know that he has to write a prescription for sinners like us, even his kings, to make sure they don't have a divided heart. And if you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to throw something in Deuteronomy chapter 17. It's the uh, part of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And Deuteronomy 17 is going to give description of how a godly king should act well before the nation of Israel even had a godly king. And here's what it said about this godly king. It said this, it said, this king, when you have a king of Israel, um, he shouldn't collect too many horses. 
He shouldn't be a horse enthusiast. We're going to see why. He shouldn't collect too many wives. We're going to see why. Not only that, he shouldn't collect too much gold. Why? Why did God care about things like kings and horses and kings and wives and kings and golds? Because he said this in Deuteronomy 17. He said, those things are going to mess with their heart. They're going to mess with their heart. They're going to mess with their mind. And when they mess with their heart and they mess with their mind, guess what? They mess with their loyalty. And they're not going to be mine. And so they are to avoid all those things. And Solomon, who, by the way, if I told you, was credited in Scripture as the smartest man who ever lived, wasn't smart enough to follow God. He wasn't smart enough to take God's clear word and say, don't do it. We're going to see King Solomon really wasn't in submission to God. We see that Solomon's going to have a divided heart, and guess what? He really wasn't on mission for God. We need a better king. We need a better king that's even smarter than Solomon. We need one named Jesus. So let's go and look to Solomon. And as we turn here, let's ask God to bless the reading and preaching of his word, knowing that every story in the Bible is going to point us to God's ultimate king and warrior. Everyone's going to be fixed uh, and pointing to in Christ. And let's read. And what we're going to do today is I'm going to kind of bracket Solomon's life and career. I mean, there's so many things that are happening. But I want to focus on what Solomon loved. I want to focus on a good start and a bad finish. I want to focus on this amazing man who had so much and lost so much for the Lord. 1 Kings 3.3, then we'll turn to chapter 11 and read verses 1 through 13. Good news. Solomon, according to God's word, loved the Lord. Walking in the statutes of David, his father, only, but, comma, exception, uh uh-oh, only, He sacrificed and made offerings at high places. Basically, the writer is telling us that Solomon um, loved God, wanted to do some right things, but he had a problem with the way he worshipped God and how God told him to worship Him. Now, we can give Solomon a pass Because the temple hadn't been built yet. Guess who, by the way, is going to build the temple? Solomon. So he can say, hey, no temple to go, so I'm going to take some things, I'm going to sacrifice them on some pretty cool high places. But the sad thing is, he never stops sacrificing in the wrong places to the wrong gods for the wrong reasons. Let's look at 1 Kings 11. We move to 1 Kings 11. I love the play. I love God's Word. It's so beautiful. I love the way it ties in. You have the writer of the book of Kings going to tell us in 3.3 that there's a love affair that Solomon seemingly has with the Lord. He's kind of doing the right thing. And he's going to now play on this word love in verse 1 of chapter 11. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, 
Moabite, Ammonite, Edenite, Sidonian, and Hittite women. He loved them all. Size, shape, beauty, color. He loved women. Whatever God had created as woman, he lusted after. From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn your heart after their gods. God said going into the promised land to his people, Listen, this is not supposed to intermarry with them. Because you are my chosen people. You are to be a holy nation. You are to be a royal priesthood. They're pagan. They don't believe in me. They, they believe in false gods. They're sacrificing their children to false gods. They, 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 they have these incredible sexual perversion worship to false gods. Don't marry them. Don't, don't be yoked with them. Because what's going to happen is they're going to steal your heart. And Solomon, being the smartest in the world, should know better. But Solomon clung to these in love. Listen to Solomon. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. Anybody do any math around here? Do you know how many mother-in-laws that is right there? Some writers will say that's hyperbole. It's probably more like 70 or 30. I'll take God's word at God's word, but I think we all have to realize the guy had an issue with women. He wanted to take them as his own. He's got a thousand of them. And guess what happened? And his wives turned his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wife turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord, his God. I mean, we cannot listen to this. This is the guy who built the temple. Okay? I mean, this is the guy that God raised up to build the place where man and God dwell together. This is the one who, at the dedication of the temple, said, we can't, with our own hands, build a place that can contain the Lord of heavens and earth. This is the one who said, God, come and bless this temple, this place with your presence. This is the one who says at the end of his prayer, may our hearts be fully devoted to you. This is the one that God had chosen to build his temple. And what is he doing? His heart is not fully true to his God. And the heart that David uh, had, his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidians. And after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Sodom did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. By the way, did David follow the Lord all the time? Anybody remember exception clause last week? Pretty amazing exception clause, wasn't it? Remember the sin of the perversion of sexual perversion and the sword in David's life? We see it in Solomon, his son. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemish, the abomination of Moab, and for Moloch, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all the foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifices to their gods. What in the world's the big deal, right? 
So the guy built a temple and he decided for his wife, hey, I'm going to throw in a couple extra temples for you. I'm going to throw in a couple of places that you can go. And listen, it should be your right to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. And if your happiness is is sacrificing to these foreign gods, by the way, I'm going to get involved in that a little bit myself. I'm going to do it myself. But do you know that Molech, they sacrifice their children to these gods? you got to understand what was happening in these high places. They were taking their kids and they were slicing them and sacrificing them and placing them in the arms of this false god made of stone or wood and worshiping with their dead children, sacrificed. I mean, are you kidding me, David? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me, David? Are you kidding me, Solomon? I'll get your name right. Are you kidding me? You're the smartest man who ever lived and you're building high places so that the children of Israel can be sacrificed? Man, does it make you angry? It should. Does it make your heart burn? It should. I mean, think of your children. Think of these covenant kids we just baptized. Can you imagine sacrificing them to false gods? Does it make you tit? It should. I mean, God's holy anger is burning you kidding me? I've called you apart. I've separated you. I've given you a temple. I've given you a place with my name. I've given you a place for sacrifice that's nothing to do with your kids. I never can think about such craziness. And here's Solomon. He's the smartest man in the world. Verse 9, and the Lord was angry with Solomon. <laughs> I bet. Because our God's a holy God. Our God hates sin. Our God loves the little children. Our God hates idolatry. He hates those things that steal our hearts away from Him. Those things that will lead us into slavery. Those things that will rob our life, that promise life, but rob our life. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning these things that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, since, you have, uh, uh, since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I've commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. You see, we have a divided heart, divided passion. It leads to civil war. It leads to a divided kingdom. Yet for the sake of David your father, I will not do it in your days. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. I sometimes think the sins of a father passed to the son are even more painful. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give you one tribe to your son for the sake of David my servant and for the sake of Jerusalem, whom I have chosen. Let's just pray. Father, how in the world can the smartest man in the world be so stupid that he's going to build a temple to you, the living God, and yet build temples in high places to despicable gods where terrible things are done. How in the world can the smartest man in the Bible who you said lived, who knew so much about so many things, be so deceived? He had a divided heart. And so do we. So Jesus, come and, 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 and just clear out, clear out all the, anything that could be in the way of just hearing from you this morning and dealing with you because 
God, you have something for us today. And it's really easy to look at Solomon and say, yep, yep, look at he had the seeds of civil war. It's easy to maybe look at Jefferson and say, man, there's some confusion there. But, but God, through your grace and Holy Spirit, may we look in the mirror. And when it hurts because of our divided hearts and minds, show us Jesus. And may we run and embrace him. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I think for us to really get the context of what is happening here, we need to get the big picture of the Bible. We need to know what the story of the Bible is all about because Solomon's got a very important role in redemptive history with building a temple. A temple to you and me may be something so archaic, so far back. What in the world is that all about? Um, but I was with a, a member yesterday uh, having breakfast. He says, you know, if you fold the Bible from the first two chapters and the last two chapters of the Bible together, you'll get the picture of what God is doing. And that was a pretty interesting way of saying, yeah, that's God's story. That's redemptive history. And let me just quickly tell you the story of the Bible so you can get the context of what's happening here. It's this, is that God created all things for his glory. He spoke and out of nothing, everything came into existence. Amazing. And God created us in His image to have a relationship with Him, to walk with Him in the cool of the evening, to talk with Him, to love Him, to worship Him, to be known by Him, to know Him. I mean, that's what we're for. I mean, we spend our lives as, as fallen creatures saying, what's my purpose in life? Well, listen, every one of us, your purpose in life is to know and love God. And God created a place called Eden, a place called paradise, a place where man and God hung out together. And it was amazing. God and man together. That's how God always intended it. And God said this. Now listen, this place called Eden where it's paradise, I want you to take this beauty, this light, um, and I want you to take it into the whole world. Wherever there's chaos, bring this beauty. Wherever there's darkness, bring this light. Wherever there's not a place where you and I can dwell together, make this world a place where God and man can dwell together for God's glory. That was the beginning plan. It's never changed, by the way. Man rebelled. Man said, no, no, I'm going to go my own way. And God actually saw us sin, saw us rebel from Him. And because He's a holy God, He says, i, I, I got to separate myself from you. I can't, we can't dwell together anymore. Because of sin, it's been broken. And you're going to have to be separated from me. You're going to have to get kicked out of Eden. You're no longer welcome there. Because you defiled it. And God had every right to say, basically, to hell with, with all this creation. I'm going to leave you to yourself and to your own vices. I'm going to let you die. And I'm going to curse the earth, what you did. But our God is so amazing. And our God is so gracious. And our God is so loving that he pursues sinners like us. He doesn't leave us alone. And right now, your heart should be beating a little faster saying, God, thank you. Thank you for pursuing sinners. And God says, I'm going to love a particular people, not because they're big and not because they're smart, not because they're strong, because I decide to love them. I'm going to love them. I'm going to call them to myself. I'm going to bring them out of slavery. I'm going to bring them to a promised land. And by the way, when they're going to the promised land and they all live in tents, I want to live in a tent too. you got a God who builds a tabernacle in his, with his people, a tent. Why? Because God wants to hang with his people. Because God wants to be known and He wants to be loved and He wants us to have life in Him. And when they arrive to the promised land, He says, okay, put away your tent. You don't need that anymore. You always had to put that up and put that down. Now we're going to build a temple. We're going to build a place 
where God and man is going to dwell together of all the places on the earth. This is where I'm going to come. I'm going to meet with you. I'm going to tell you how to have the right sacrifices for this to happen. But of all the places in the world, this temple is going to be the place. Solomon and the people of God couldn't keep it clean and they defiled it and eventually the temple was destroyed. But God kept pursuing His people. that good news? God pursues sinners. Isn't that good news? And so God became man and He pitched a tent called flesh and He dwelt among us and God's tabernacle came in the form of Jesus. And He says, I am the true tabernacle. I am the place where God and man dwell. It's right here. I'm on earth. I'm going to walk this earth and you can tear this temple down and in three days I'm going to rebuild it. And he says to all those who follow me, I'm going to give life and life abundantly. And you now, when you place your faith and trust in me, right for this, now we become the temple of God. He ascends into heaven and he's preparing a place for us, a place of new heavens and new earth. But in the meantime, until he comes back, he says for us, the church, those true believers in Jesus Christ, that we now are the place where God and man meet. It's us. Unbelievable. We are now the temple of God. And he says there's a day coming. There's a day coming where what we know is going to pass away and heaven and earth are going to come together. And guess what? There's going to be no more need for a temple. Why? Because we'll be with him. And we'll see him face to face. And we won't need to go to a specific place. So now where we are in redemptive history, it's very, very important for us to see that God's people needed a temple. This is before Christ has come. God's people needed a place for where God's people and God could dwell together. So he raised up Solomon and said, I'm going to give you amazing wisdom. You're going to build this place for me. And yet he could be so amazingly stupid that he'll build places for other gods. You see, he had a divided heart. Jefferson wrote against the evils of slavery, yet he owned hundreds of them. Hypocrisy, Jefferson. Hypocrisy. Solomon built a place where God and man could dwell together, the true God, yet he built temples to false gods. Hypocrisy. What is it about Solomon? And what is it about us? Solomon had a thing for horses. He loved them, lots of them. And he loved collecting them in mass. My mom has a thing for dolls. She loves them. She collects them in mass. What's the big deal? So the dude liked horses. So what? You know? I mean, they're beautiful animals. Why in the world would God be telling his king, don't get too many horses? Why would God care about how many horses the king had? Well, Solomon didn't listen to God. And God knew why. Because it would divide his heart. Because Solomon would place his trust and his security in horses and in chariots. It says to the book of uh, Kings that he had like 12,000 chariots and he he raised up 40,000 horses. I mean, he collected horses. And maybe we don't get that until we read the Psalms when Psalms 20 verse 7 says this. Psalm 20 verse 7 says this. Some believe in chariots and some trust in horses. But I will trust in the Lord our God. I will trust in the name of the Lord. What was Solomon's issue? God says, don't 
get a bunch of horses because it's going to divide your trust because you're not going to really need me. Your horses are going to be your trust. Your horses are going to be your security. Do you know that God always operates that way? God hates it when we hoard things that become our trust and our security. I mean, it's amazing. You read through the, the, the scriptures, you see that God's a God who basically is going to say to Gideon, Gideon, you got too many warriors, man. There's too many there. You, you might take victory yourself. I mean, God's a God who continually says, no, 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 no. Don't amass what the world says is security. Don't place your trust there. Place it in me. I mean, how antithetical is this to the American dream? I mean, how absolutely antithetical is this to what we kind of grow up saying, amass, amass, amass. And God's telling his kings, listen, the deal's not about horses. The deal is about your security, your trust. And Solomon blows right by it. Solomon blows away. He said, I'm not going to be in submission to God. I'm going to trust my horses. I'm going to trust my chariots. And God's always against what we collect that takes away trust and security from him. Solomon had a thing about women. He loved them, lots of them. And he collected them in mass quantity. Why would God care? Well, it's pretty obvious why God would care, hopefully, about that. But God makes it very clear to the kings, listen, don't marry these foreign women Don't do it. It's not that foreign women are bad. He's not talking about interracial marriages. He's talking about those marriages that will pull your heart away from the Lord. In the New Testament, this is what we have. Don't be unequally yoked. Young people, you should not marry. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, someone who is not a believer in Jesus Christ, you shouldn't marry. Why? Because you'll have a divided home, a divided heart. And God in his wisdom knew that reality of Solomon. He said, don't do it. They're going to steal your heart away. Here was the smartest man in the world with a thousand women associated with him. And what happened? They stole his heart. They stole his heart. I mean, before you know it, he's saying, okay, maybe we should not just have the temple here. What do you guys think about, maybe we could go to Chemish, could have a sacrifice over there. We could take some of the children and sacrifice to Moloch over there and and to Asherus uh, over there. And, and yeah, let's, 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 worship, let's worship many gods. He wasn't on mission for God. You see, if God doesn't have our heart, we can't be on mission for him. We are his ambassadors. We are the ones that God wants to fill this earth with his glory. We need to be in submission to him. We need to be on mission for him. And God is always against us collecting things that become our source of love and worship. Did you hear that? God is always against us collecting things that will become the source of our love and our worship. Always. What are your things? Solomon had a thing about gold. He loved it. Lots of it. And he collected it in mass quantities. Look, look at what chapter 10, 14 says. He had 666 talents of gold brought to him a year. Now, how many people know what in the world that means? I had to read the footnote. You know how many that is? 25 tons of gold in a year. Man. What's the big deal about gold? Well, that becomes our identity. 
That becomes our worth. Solomon is credited to write the book of Ecclesiastes. And in Ecclesiastes, it's a pretty amazing book where he basically says, I'm going to pursue everything that life has to offer. I'm going to pursue knowledge. I'm going to pursue women. I'm going to pursue everything I can pursue. And here's what he says about what all that life has to offer. He says it's all vanity. Vanity, vanity. At the end of Solomon's life, he realizes that it's not about the horses. It's not about the knowledge. It's not about the women. It's about Jesus. It's about God and God alone. And that's all that is important. And we've got to place our faith and trust there alone. But how could he miss it? How could King Solomon build a temple to God and yet have his heart divided? We need another king. His name is Jesus. A king who would come with an undivided heart. A king who will come and give his life and life abundantly. A king who will come and say, I'm going to do my father's will. I'm going to do it perfectly. A king who will truly set us free. Let me ask you these questions in closing. Where are your high places? Where are your high places? Where do you go physically, mentally, apart from the Lord? Tear them down. What other gods are you sacrificing to? Oh, it's so easy to look at Solomon and say, what a crazy man. He's set up things that sacrifice children. We sacrifice our children differently. We sacrifice our children through materialism. We sacrifice our children through activities. We sacrifice our children through sports. We sacrifice our children through pursuing a higher education. We sacrifice all. We, we, we wouldn't be as barbaric as Solomon. We're much more ingenious the way we sacrifice our children. What other gods are you sacrificing your life to? Success? Position? Materialism? I mean... We are the temple of God. We are it. How in the world can we have high places? How in the world can we have divided hearts? How in the world can we let our lives be lived? Not just pursuing God. What other temples are you building? Where's your heart? Where's your worship? Where's your money? Where's your time? Is it in God and God alone? Listen, there's such good news is that in the midst of this sanctification process, he loves us. He's never going to let us go. It's such good news. And such good news, Jesus is not going to throw us away and let this temple be destroyed. One day we'll see him face to face. But Orangewood, I think we have some business to do. Do we have a divided heart? It'll always lead to a divided kingdom and what he has for us. Man, we got to sing and go home. I didn't even look at the clock. It's like, wow, it's, it's late. Why didn't someone wave at me about five minutes ago? Some of you did, didn't you? <laughs> All right. Let's pray. Father God, we look at men like Jefferson, and we look at men like Solomon, and they're amazing men. But guess what? They're nothing compared to Jesus. They're nothing compared to Jesus. And Jesus, I thank you that you have come so that sinners like us can become the temple of the living God. 
And Jesus, I thank You for Your Holy Spirit that continually cleans this temple and promises that one day we'll see You face to face. Father, I pray that because You love us and we're Your children, and because You're holy, You want us to look into our lives and see where do we have high places? What gods are we sacrificing to? What altars do we place our children on? What do we worship? What divides our hearts? What keeps us from being in submission to You and on mission for You? Holy Spirit, come. Come and sweep clean this temple. Come and sweep clean this church. And we long for that day that we'll see You and there'll be no need for a temple because we'll be with You. And we just know that that'll be the best day ever. Until that time, God, give us your strength and your power and your grace and your mercy, we pray in Christ's name.